Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Moon and You, the podcast that's all about the changing signs of the moon and how we can vibe with them to unlock our own potential. My name's Jonah, I'm an Aussie living in South London, and this episode is focusing on the tenth sign in the zodiac, Capricorn. Capricorn is an Earth sign along with Virgo and Taurus, and it is ruled by the planet Saturn, which we haven't come across, but Saturn is the planet that's all about restriction and limitation. It's almost like the harsh grandfather of the zodiac that that um, shakes its finger at us when we do something wrong, but also picks us up when we're at our lowest point. So it teaches us things like boundaries, orderliness, and structure. Capricorn itself is uh, named after the constellation Capricornus, which means horned goat, and it's a very faint constellation, in fact the second faintest in the zodiac uh, behind Cancer, and it's also the smallest sign in the zodiac when you compare it with its 11 brothers and sisters. So as always, I'll begin with a few reflections about Capricorn season and what I'm seeing, hearing, and feeling around me. And I'll start with feeling. I am cold. I think we're all cold. We're in the depths of winter now. There's ice on the pavement in the morning. The other day there was snow on the way to the gym, which was really unpleasant for me as an Aussie. But I'm learning to appreciate the changing cycles of the season. That's part of the reason why I'm doing this. Um, And when I look with my eyes, I can see that while growth in plant life is incredibly slow... There are a few different trees and shrubs that bear winter fruits, particularly red winter fruits, which stand out against the grey and the and the darkness around me. So one particular plant uh, that's really caught my eye is something that I had to Google. It's called a red firethorn bush. And uh, if you Google it, you'll see that you probably have them in your neighbourhood as well. They have um, some dark, glossy leaves and brilliantly red red and orange berries that that cluster on their branches. And the other plant that looks a little bit similar to this is called a cotton Easter. And there's lots of different shrubs in gardens around me at the minute that are um, really illuminating my eye line with reds, yellows and oranges, which, as I said earlier, contrast quite starkly with the grey. Sadly, my squirrel friends have really quietened down this month, as have my bird friends. Um, Every now and then I'll hear a songbird in the morning, but I've noticed that when you compare it to, say, springtime, it's a lot quieter than it was. Um, When I look at the trees around me, I can see that there are some early forming buds that do give me a sense of hope and promise for spring to come. And again, keeping with that theme of red winter berries, I'm lucky enough to live on a street with a big rowan tree, which really um, sort of show off the best of winter, I guess, by um, exhibiting these really heavy, big red fruits that almost look like cherries um, throughout the month of January. Also, when I peek into my neighbours' gardens and look at the parks around me, I can see that people are obnoxiously defying the misty darkness of winter by planting really bright, vibrant, white, red um, and pink cyclamen and purple and yellow violas, which manage to just thrive in this miserable weather. I'm out here, you know, shivering after two seconds in this cold, but they just live their best life smiling at the sun, um, well, the limited hours of sun that we get, and they just they just love this time of year. 
And if we step outside um, the London bubble, we can see that um, it's a, quite a quiet time agriculturally and, um, you know, that's to be expected. But it is the time to sow things like uh, onion and garlic, which nestle themselves into the soil um, and manage to grow very slowly over January, February and March. And if you're looking at wild foods, you can still find things like black mustard, which is um, sort of related to cabbage, and um, wood ear mushrooms, which um, you can use in cooking. And I guess a lot of these sorts of plants um, really align with with the sort of Capricorn back to basics energy or the sort of like, you know, midwinter back to basics energy. And although the days are getting longer, they have been since the winter solstice, um, which sort of marks the beginning of Capricorn season. It is kind of hard to believe it because while the days are longer, I feel like the days are definitely colder than they were in November. The actual month of January is named after the Roman god Janus, who had two faces, one looking forward and one looking back. And his face is featured on um, sort of ancient coins and things like that. But it was also pretty commonplace to have a sculpture or a mural of him um, above doors and important thresholds in buildings, because he was the god that represented choices, beginnings and endings, which is fitting for the first month of the year. So we know that Capricorn season begins with the winter solstice, which is rich in its own traditions. But most famously, Capricorn season includes Christmas, um, which a lot of people still celebrate today, of course. And uh, something that's quite specific to the UK or to Scotland in in particular is this idea of Hogmanay or New Year, which has its own sort of litany of really um, ancient and and cute customs. Um, In some parts of Scotland, it's still customary to exchange gifts and um, uphold this tradition of first footing through doorways or gateways um, to spread the love with neighbours, family and friends over the New Year period. But jumping back to Capricorn, the sign itself, something that I didn't expect was to be confronted with so many different stories that centre around this very small and humble sign. Um, And I've got three stories to tell you from Greek mythology, the first of which centres around a humble goat called Amalthea, without whom we wouldn't have the Olympians. So this story begins in the time before time, when Uranus, the sky, and Gaia, the earth, had twelve children, the titans. There were six boys and six girls. Uranus, as the sky, ruled over everything, yet he was petty, he was a terrible father, and he worried that one day one of his children would eventually dethrone him. The more his children grew in strength, the more paranoid and jealous he became. He got so paranoid that he locked a number of them in Tartarus, the pit of the underworld, which is a totally unforgivable act. His wife and the mother of the Titans, Gaia, was fuming about this, so she conspired with one of her sons, Cronus, to usurp the throne. She gifted him a sickle, and Cronus used this sickle to castrate Uranus. Damaged and wounded, Uranus retreated to the sky, making Kronos the new ruler of the gods. In time, it became clear that the old adage of like father, like son would be true. Cronus was equally as cruel a ruler as Uranus, and Gaia prophesied that, in an act of poetic justice, Cronus's reign would also come to an end at the hands of his child.
but Cronus was as cruel as he thought clever. So when he and his wife Rhea bore their first child Hestia, he ripped her from Rhea's arms and swallowed her whole. He then did the same to their second child Demeter, and so on and so forth, gobbling up Hera, Poseidon, and Hades as well. By the time Rhea was pregnant with her sixth child, she'd hatched a plan. She birthed her child Zeus in secret, and swaddled a rock in blankets as though it was a baby. So when Kronos came banging on the door and swinging it open, he ate what was in the crib, without a second thought. Rhea, of course, feared for her son's life. So she approached the humble goat, Amalthea, and asked her to raise him as though he was her own. Amalthea did. She fed him with milk and cheese and nurtured him until he was a grown man. Zeus learned of this injustice and agreed that it was time for him to fulfil his end of the prophecy. He managed to mobilise the fearsome Cyclopses to help him confront his father in an epic battle. In an act of allegiance, the Cyclopses created Zeus the most powerful weapon of the gods, the Thunderbolt, and with this he managed to free his fellow Olympians from the belly of Kronos and lead an army to victory, instigating a new world order and imprisoning the old guard of Titans in Tartarus. He, of course, could not have achieved any of this without the gentle care and support from his stepmother, Amalthea, the humble goat. So, to thank her, he placed a goat-figured constellation, Capricorn, in the night sky. As a side note, it's Amalthea's horn, which is the cornucopia, the horn of plenty, and it symbolises the life-giving and sustaining powers of nature's bounty. The second story from Greek lore that stands out and surrounds the constellation of Capricorn centres around Pan, the satyr god of woodlands, music and mischief, who was half-goat himself. When the vicious monster Typhon, which is where we get today's word typhoon, attacked Olympus in one of the many epic battles to reclaim the throne, Pan convinced his divine peers to transform themselves into animals and hide in Egypt but when he got there, he saw nowhere that he himself could hide, so he jumped into the Nile, and as he did, his bottom half transformed into a powerful fishtail, which helped him swim away from danger at a rapid pace. This particular story gives rise to two words that we still use in English today, panic and pandemonium. Pan's plan to save the gods worked, and when Typhon began looking elsewhere, Pan and Hermes rallied around Zeus, building his strength back so that he could then defeat Typhon, again with his all-powerful thunderbolt. After this victory, Zeus put the constellation of Capricorn into the night sky to honour Pan and to serve as a reminder of this great event. The third story that's tied to the constellation of Capricorn is probably the most profound, and it centres around the story of Precus, who was the oldest and father of all sea goats. Sea goats were renowned for their wisdom, and their form was half goat from the navel up and half fish from the navel down. They lived deep in the sea. And Precus himself was the favoured child of the god Cronus, the god of time Cronus, separate to the titan Cronus, just to confuse you. And he was gifted with immortality, and Cronus passed on his ability to manipulate time to Precus. So he was renowned for his cleverness, his talent, 
and his wisdom. Precus was the father to many goatfish, and they lived as one herd, abundantly under the waves, swimming the seven seas and using their front hooves to scramble through deep underwater caves and canyons. They would share stories between themselves about what they'd seen in the reefs and the grottos, and explored and celebrated the wonders of life in the ocean. While time usually meant nothing to Precus, one day he noticed something unusual. His herd of children seemed smaller than it was the day before. He noticed this again the next day, when his herd had grown smaller, and so on and so forth until there were only three of his children left in sight. Intrigued, he followed their movements in secret, trailing them as they traversed the waves and led him to a shallow coral reef. There, he witnessed his children grow curious about the rocky shore above the waves, and witnessed their daring as they used their front legs to climb onto the sand, into the wind and sunlight. To his surprise, his children's scaly tails transformed before his eyes into two more hooved legs, and then he saw his children use their forelegs to gracefully dart up and over rocky cliffs and join a large herd that he recognised as his other children. He called out to them, but they didn't seem to understand a word that he was saying. They were far more occupied with chewing grass, butting their horned heads, and bleeding senselessly into the distance. Distraught at the loss of his children, and overcome with loneliness and despair, Precus used his power to turn back time. He warned his children, his flock of sea goats, of what would happen if they stepped onto the shore. But despite this, in time, he saw each one succumb to their desire to explore the world above, becoming mountain goats. Precus tried again and again, but each time his children surrendered to the pull of the land. In time, Precus realised that this was their destiny, and his destiny was to live a life of loneliness under the waves. In pain, he cried out to Kronos, who took pity on him. Cronus then absolved Precus of his immortality, placing the constellation of Capricorn amongst the stars to remember his friend and favoured child. It's pretty grim, I know, but... As always, the origins of Capricorn are much older than the Greeks, and it can be traced back to Babylonian times, where the constellation of Capricornus was referred to as Mulshamas, or the goatfish, sometimes called the antelope of the sea. This constellation was connected with the god A in Akkadian, or Enki in Sumerian lore, and A is famous for his wisdom and divine rule over water. In fact, he was considered the wisest of all of the gods, and it was A who attributed the powers of the divine to each of the godly figures in the Mesopotamian pantheon. It was also A who drew lines in the sand to divide national, linguistic, and cultural boundaries between the people of Earth. So reflecting on the sort of hidden wisdom and deeper meaning of Capricorn, we can tell that it's quite a rich sign and it's very hard to summarise under just one theme. But I think on reflection there's something about tradition in a lot of these stories and, and tradition's ability to help or harm. We saw a strong story of inherited karma from Uranus, 
through to Cronus, through to Zeus. And Cronus effectively mirrored the exact behavior of his father, while Zeus chose to do something different. I think there's something to be reflected on there. And while I certainly don't think that Zeus is a outstanding moral figure, when you consider all of the stories about his adultery, his violence, his um, sort of cruel and childish behavior, there is definitely something about him upholding the esteem of his peers and keeping the world in relative order. Think again of Pan and how it's so easy in times of war to match violence with violence. And not saying that's right or wrong, but what is interesting about the story of Pan is that he managed to lead the other Olympian gods to safety by breaking away from the usual sort of stabby-stab tit-for-tat of an Olympian war, instead choosing strategy by using disguise as a tactic. And again, thinking about tradition and how sometimes it's important to break those traditions to live our full life in a more meaningful way. Precus and his children are a perfect but sad story of this, where despite how many times Precus turned back time, and despite how many times he warned his children, they were still drawn to a new destiny and a new fate that was beyond him, that broke that tradition. I think there's also an undercurrent of wisdom and cunning in these Capricorn stories. So reflecting on Pan's witty escape from Typhon and leading his his peers to safety, but also thinking about um, Precus and his uh, famed wisdom and thinking about how that's uh, even older than, than Greek law and Enki and E's famed wisdom, um, you know, God-creating wisdom in, in A's case from Babylonian mythology. I think the two more subtle things that underpin a lot of these stories are around uh, parenting and mentorship and prophecy. So thinking about Amalthea, the humble goat who nurtured Zeus, thinking about uh, Precus, the father of all sea goats, and to a certain extent, Ea, as the as the father of all the gods. Um, and then prophecy and fate. So the story of Zeus fulfilling Gaia's prophecy, the story of um, Precus and the inevitability of fate, the story of Pan and the choices that he made that effectively changed the fate and the destiny of the Olympians so that they could again reclaim their place of power in Mount Olympus and maintain the order of the universe against the very grave threat of Typhon. But enough about that. Let's focus on how this can apply to us and the best sort of meditations or way to vibe with Capricorn energy while the moon is new. We're going to strip it right back to the basics in true Capricorn fashion, and I'm going to lead you through a very simple rhythmic breath flow that can be used in any situation, and for me is almost like the staple before I undertake any other types of meditation. So as always, find yourself somewhere comfortable, maybe put your phone on silent, close your eyes, and get ready to go inwards. Draw your attention to the weight of your body and the natural flow of your breath. Breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. 
in through your nose and out through your mouth. In through your nose and out through your mouth. Repeat this pattern in through your nose, letting your body relax and out through your mouth, emptying your mind. In through the nose and out through the mouth. In through the nose and we're going to bring in a rhythm and out through the mouth. This time breathe into the count of three. One, two, three. Hold. One, two, three. Out. One, two, three. And in. One, two, three. Hold. One, two, three. And out. One, two, three. And in one, two, three, hold one, two, three, and out one, two, three. And we're going to extend. And in one, two, three, four, five, six, hold two, three, four, five, six, out two, three, four, five, six. And in two, three, four, five, six, hold two, three, four, five, six. And out two, three, four, five, six. And in two, three, four, five, six. Hold two, three, four, five, six. And out two, three, four, five, six. And one final picking up the pace. In two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Hold two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And out two three four five six seven eight nine. And in two three four five six seven eight nine. And hold two three four five six seven eight nine. And out two three four five six seven eight nine. Last one. In two three four five six seven eight nine. Hold two three four five six seven eight nine. And out two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Now let your breathing return to its natural pattern. Breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth and in through your nose and out through your mouth. Now bring your awareness back to your body, in through your nose, feeling your chest expand, and out through your mouth. And in through your nose, feeling the weight of your body, and out through the mouth. And in through the nose, let your eyes stir. And out through the mouth as you slowly open them and return to the waking world. One final breath in through the nose. 
Feeling totally relaxed and out through the mouth. Ready to engage in the present world. Hope you feel a nice and chill after that. And like I said earlier, it's a great one to start any other longer stretch of meditation with. So to close us all off, let's reflect on how we can really tap into this Capricorn energy to make the most of the season. Um, the first thing that I'm going to suggest we all do, if we haven't done it already, is set New Year's resolutions. So Capricorn, the sign linked to all of these myths, is known to be the sort of workhorse of the zodiac. It brings qualities of perseverance, persistence, patience, all of these sorts of things. So it's a good opportunity to set new goals, reflect on where we're going, in the big scheme of things. And if you're anything like me, I'm a bit of a nerd at work. So I choose to set um, a sort of personal New Year's resolution. um, But also I set myself a goal um, for who I want to be or how I want to sort of channel my energy at work as well, which I feel is probably the most Capricorn thing you can do. Remember, as an earth sign, Capricorn is all about being practical. So it's not just about setting the main goal, but thinking about the steps that you need to take to get there. We've heard from these stories that nothing comes easy under the sign of Capricorn, but if you stick to it and put in the hard yards, the rewards will be unmatched. I think the second thing that we can do this month to really put that uh, Capricorn energy into practice is to reflect on routines and introduce new ones or break ones that no longer serve us. So it could be as simple as choosing a new tradition where you do a stretch in the morning or make your bed every day if that's not something that you do. It could be that you uh, make a tradition of drinking more water immediately after a coffee or in sort of true satin style, reducing the intake of alcohol or thinking about some of the limits that you might want to put in place if there are areas of excess in your life. Perfect time to try out dry January. And that brings us to the end of Capricorn season. I hope you enjoyed that. Join me next month as we'll be getting into the second last sign, Aquarius. Until then, look after yourself. Bye.